All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was a... I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to chefjameskjones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Happy August from the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Are you looking for an expert realtor who is dedicated, determined, and eager to help you? Dana Belcher with Remax Advantage North. Dana has a strong market knowledge and she uses strategic marketing strategies to help you get what you want. Dana says that fall is a better time to buy. There's not as much competition, more to pick from, fewer buyers in the market. There's an opportunity to pick up deals or hidden gems. Text or call or get a phone appointment to explain your needs to Dana and she will use her experience to get you going in the right direction. Email her Dana Belcher agent at gmail.com. Call or text her at 205-910-3358. Or check out her website, theiconagents.com. Alec Criola with Assurance Financial is one of my closest friends. He really knows his industry and we love what he does to help people. He's licensed in Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, and Texas. Alec's company now does home equity lines of credit. Just like a credit card. You can use it on anything. Only pay interest, which is no more than 6.5%, and it could be less. It's just like a credit card. You can use it on anything. It's a great way to leverage equity in your home. Is inflation bogging you down? (laughs) You know it is. You need some extra cash? I mean, don't we all? Don't we all need some extra cash? Get some much-needed relief with a mortgage review from Alec to see if a cash-out is a good option for you. Don't miss this opportunity if you don't own a home. Rents are at all-time highs. Through the roof, actually. And property values are going up. By owning your own home, you'll stop filling up somebody else's bank account and change your own financial future by building equity for yourself. Take advantage of Alec's many years of experience and knowledge and his company's advanced technology that streamlines the process and makes it simple. Call Alec today to see how much you can start saving on your new or current home before these low interests are no longer available. 205-215-2888. Again, that's 205-215-2888. NMLS number 130-1248. Assurance Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 70876. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC business, Home and Commercial Services. Just because we're getting to the end of summer, your HVA system still needs to be maintained. At home or at work, they have all of your air conditioning needs covered. They offer commercial and residential service agreements to keep your equipment functioning at top performance. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. They provide you with trained technicians, not salesmen in disguise. They're going to do what they say they're going to do, guys, which is refreshing in these days. Home and commercial services works on all name brand of heating and air conditioning units. Gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. 
No job is too big or too small. Call Keeley today. 205-798-0635. Or email office at hollandhcs.com. Our friends Lynn and Debbie own Hearst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to they help. They not call anyone else. That's a fact. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours and 7 days a They've week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. That's a long time. You know how they say healthy things grow? Well, Hearst Towing has been growing and expanding since... 1987. The Hearst have a heart to serve and they love making a difference in the communities that they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world and the world around them. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS. T-O-W-S. <laughs> <laughs> or you can check them out at hearsttowing.com. CrossFit Morphobia is owned and run by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She's been a personal trainer for eight years as well as a CrossFit coach for six years. She is a CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition certified. So she don't just teach you how to work out, she can teach you how to eat right too. So you can be the best version of CrossFit Morphobia classes are all one hour long start to finish. They literally have classes any day or time that fits your skin. We love Hayden and there is not a better time than the fall to step back into a routine. They also have open gym times. You can come and do your own thing and coaches are always available there for you if you need. Let Hayden help you be the best version of you. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email info at gmail.com. Call or text 256-303-1873 or check her out on Facebook and Instagram, CrossFit Mophobia. Well, hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. My name is James K. Jones, and this is the best of season three. And this is Haley Jones, and you've thrown me off because usually you say, this is, this is James K. Jones, and this is my story. <laughs> and then I say, and this is Haley Jones, and this is his story that has now become a part of my story. I think if people are up to season three, they pretty much got that down. They got that on. The I know, but you threw me off of my of my rhythm. So okay, but yes, like you said, this is the best of season three. Coming at you, it's going to be really good. Um, I've been loving the number one and two. Yeah, it's been. This has been really fun. I like it. But this uh, this will be the last week that we do a best of because we don't have any more seasons. Plus, season four is premiering September the seventh. Drum roll, please. Yes, September the seventh. Like Coming you in. said, September seventh, season four. We are stoked about it. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye -bye. Season three. We made it. What's up? I feel like we need to go out to dinner to celebrate. (laughs) You're out of prison. Free at last. Driving off. Free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. Driving away, I should say. You're going to kiss the dirt of the free ground, but you decided, well, ain't nobody got time for I that. I had always planned on doing that. That was always, that had been my plan for almost <laughs> seven years. But somehow that morning, everything was going so fast. We got to the end of the driveway and Tommy was like stopping. And I think he wanted to take like a picture or do something cheesy like that. And I just said, I don't want to do it. I'm good. Just, just get me out of here. Keep driving. Get me don't stop. I don't, I don't want to do it. Yeah, well, I was, you know, there's a lot of things I wanted to do the first right. day. You know, I wanted to call my mom. I wanted to see, you know, I want to do all the things. Right. 
But probably more than anything is I want to get something to eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the brother was hungry. So, yeah, because you had talked about how the the food and the floor, I mean, in the Alabama prisons were, it was terrible. It was awful. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was worse than like dog food. It was, um, and I felt like a, like a kid in a candy store. Like I just couldn't. I couldn't process like <laughs> the food and it was just, you know, I'm pretty sure I ate some of everything that was there. And then, but when I got, there was cereal and then they had milk and then I was so excited about it. And then I looked up and Tommy was crying. Wait, but, you were so excited about the, the milk. And how, how, like, were you just like, Oh my God, milk. Like <laughs> I was just excited to see, I haven't had, had by that time it had been almost four years since I had milk. Like oh, we didn't wow. have, we didn't have milk. What did you have? What did you have cereal? I guess in prison. Or? Well, if they did cereal, they would take that powdered milk and then they would put water in it and shake it up. Oh. <laughs> so that, that was that was the milk. We didn't have milk, and I was excited about the milk. And he was bawling, and I was like, "What's the What's the matter? Like, you know, what's the matter with you?" And he was like, "I've just never seen anybody get so excited about milk." <laughs> so <laughs> it was. Um, I mean, I kind of felt bad for him, but I was just like, "Well." You know, I haven't had milk. <laughs> it's been a long time since I had milk. But I didn't. I, could, I didn't. I didn't know how to talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. But you know, eventually, I didn't know how to talk on the phone. <laughs> well, no, like with a regular, like a home phone, you can hear your. There's like you can hear yourself, and yeah. that one I couldn't. And it might have been because we were in the car and the background noise. I don't know. Yeah. But it was very difficult. And then, but I finally got on the phone with my mom, and you know. Her tears of joy, and she's real, is it for real? You know, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. it was, um, and of course, you know, when are you coming to see me? You know, like, mom, you gotta give me a minute. I gotta figure out, I got a lot to figure out, you know, um, but I'm coming to see you, but you know, there's a lot. I gotta get through it. I got a lot of hoops to jump through. Real quick. It's hard to believe. I mean, our daughter just turned seven. So to think that you were in prison as long as she's been alive. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Put, you know, think of it from that perspective. It feels like a very long time. It was the better part of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, even to this day, people will tell me like a classic movie that they love. And mm-hmm. if it was during the 90s, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what that is. I didn't see that. Then we went to Tommy's house. He was going to okay. show me. He was going to show me where I was going to stay. I guess I was kind of taken back when we pulled into his neighborhood because it was like... He lived in Cahaba Heights, which was on the you know outskirts of Birmingham. Uh, now it's actually part of Estavia, but at that time it was just unincorporated Jefferson County, and it's behind the summit on two eighty. Okay, it's which is a big shopping center area. Yeah, and um, just the neighborhood, like all these big houses. And then when we pulled up to his house, I was like, "This is your house?" <laughs> I mean, because it looked like a mansion. Like it was like. <laughs> It was two stories, kind of tucked in a hill, yards and landscaping and flowers, and it was just beautiful. I mean, you explain, you describe all that, and I think, I mean, because you had never really, you didn't grow up in a house or neighborhood like that either, right? No, I mean, my granny had a nice house in a nice neighborhood. I'm just thinking you're coming from prison, being in a prison (laughs) cell, to one of the nicest houses you've ever been that as far as I'm going to stay here, I'm going to sleep Yeah, here. it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, because this was, uh, it was nice. It was, it was crazy. Uh, what a contrast. <laughs> no, it was, I felt like little orphan Annie, mm-hmm. like coming in there, <laughs> like, hey, I'm James. Where do I need to start? Clean the floors? <laughs> I'm James from prison. <laughs> the 
house was intimidating because when you walked in the front door, there was like this long winding store staircase, you uh-huh. know, like something out of Gone with the Wind. And, <laughs> you know, just nice, just nice, expensive stuff. And they took me in and he showed me where my room was going to be. And when he opened the door to the room, the bed, the floor, the dresser was flooded with clothes, cosmetics, underwear. Cosmetics. Cosme- like deodorant and shampoo. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't have anything, Haley. See, <laughs> Haley, I guess I just, I mean, you don't think of it when you don't know it to think that you act, that you didn't have any of that shampoo or anything like that. I didn't have nothing. I, mean, I had a prison ID in my paper sack. Just to be able to sit and eat dinner and watch TV and then the next morning to wake up and be like, this is real. Like, I, this is really happening. Like, I'm not in prison anymore. It was crazy. Like, the freedom. Freedom is, oh, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely lose, have an appreciation for it. I mean, like I said, someone like me who's never, I mean, I've always, I've never not had freedom. But because of that, I've never thought about it. Yeah. I don't think about it in the same way that you it's do. crazy. I remember the biggest thing for me was that I noted was that we could snack. <laughs> like oh, yeah. you could, they had a little den, you know, sit in there and watch TV and eat chips. And I thought that was neat. And then he had a, a computer <laughs> and, you know, he was trying to get down to business with me that first night. And he was like, we're going to need to set you up an email address. And I was like, what is that? Like, I don't, <laughs> oh, yeah. what does that mean? Like, what That I, did all come to pass <laughs> like in the nineties. I don't know what that, we would. In prison, we would see commercials or like on the news where they talked about the World Wide Web or the Internet <laughs> yeah, or Yahoo or America Online. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know what that meant. We didn't understand it. Like, we didn't know what it meant. Yeah. And then he wanted me to have an email address and he explained to me, like, when you go for job interviews, they're going to want. And I was like, what for? For what? And so he set, helped me set up my first email address. It was jkj5372 at AOL.com. And I would keep that for the next 10, 10 or so years till AOL, you know, till Gmail came around. Right. After we set it up, I was like, okay, now what do I do with it? Like, <laughs> and he was like, well, you can send emails. And then so he started sending me emails and I would open the emails and it like had some words. I was like, but you're sitting right here. And something, <laughs> I don't understand the concept. I'm not getting the concept. So it took me a minute. Then he tried to show me what the internet was. And it was that old, it was the dial up. Like, dong, dong, dong. <laughs> yeah. And I just like, this is just, this is not productive. Like, I mean, I'm good. Little with, did you know, I'm good with books. Just let me, I'll just read, I'll just use my book. But the first stop was the parole office. Okay. And that's where you met your parole officer. Mm-hmm. And apparently I got the the doozy. And what like what is the role or the job of the parole officer? Like what's the point there? Hey guys, hang tight. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Clarissa Christensen, the host of Thriving Through Menopause. If you're in perimenopause or menopause and feeling anxious, confused, and alone, this is the place to get some answers. Here, you'll learn about lifestyle interventions and mindset shifts to help you feel positive, informed, and connected. Join me and my guests as we educate, empower, and motivate you to thrive 
not just survive, in menopause and beyond. Remember, you've got this. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. You report to them and they're they're basically, when you're on parole, they're in charge of you. They can arrest you. They can put handcuffs on you and take you to jail. Oh, wow. Yeah, because when you make parole, you're out, you're free, mm-hmm. but you you belong to them right. until you complete the parole, because technically you're still a, a prisoner on yeah. parole. So when I got in there and I met her, uh, they were right. She was all business. <laughs> she was not, there was no warm fuzzies, no, no fun and games. It was all business. And she started telling me all the things and I just took out my notepad and started taking notes. You know, whatever I need to do, I'm going to do it. How did she say it? She said, you're free and you can go walk down the sidewalk like anybody else, but you're not free like other people because you have this hanging over you. So anything you do can I can send you back to prison. So whatever I, if I can come to your house, I can come to your job. I can, Oof. you know, anything. And they can, they have that, that power. Basically you belong to them and there's nothing you can do except whatever they want you to do. Right. So she, she gave me this big list and um, she was very like harsh with me. Like, like I'm not playing games with you. But later on, she told me, she said, I've been a parole officer for 18 years. And when you came in my office and you started taking notes of the things that I was telling you, that was the first time that's ever happened. There's never been anybody. That's hard to believe, though, really, for me, like thinking someone coming out of prison, you would think that everyone has the want to to stay out of prison. And like, let me just make sure I'm. Well, I was just serious about my freedom. Right. Because they can any technical violation. I mean, but I'd seen guys come back to prison for stupid stuff. Right. Right. Just for like moving. Like if you live somewhere and if you move somewhere else and you don't tell them, then that's a violation. Or if you step over a state line. That's a violation. Really? Yeah, like I couldn't even go see my granny unless I got a... a, Oh, wow. You have to get a traveling pass. 
Well, it's like the simple stuff, like you had your notebook and were taking notes to remind yourself of what you need to do. I mean, it's just so simple. Usually. I didn't want to forget. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm like making the point. No, I'm like, we can gamble. We can gamble with uh, other stuff, but I'm not gambling with my freedom. Right. I'm, I'm not. I'm taking my freedom. I'm taking my freedom seriously. We went to Rossi's in Birmingham. I talked to her and her husband, Pat. They were like co-managers. And the dining room manager, his name was Nabil. Nabil. He Nabil. He was uh-huh. from Israel. Uh huh. But he wasn't Jewish. He was uh like Palestinian, I guess. Uh-huh. And they didn't even make me fill application. And I was just honest about you know everything. Didn't hide anything. And they told me to be there tomorrow. Here's the deal. I just got out of prison two days ago. No, one day ago. (laughs) One day ago. I got out of prison yesterday morning. (laughs) Nice to meet you. This is Tuesday around lunchtime. I got out of prison yesterday morning. (laughs) That is so funny. Two days ago, I was at West Jefferson. I can just envision that conversation. (laughs) Let me just break this down for you. Well, I didn't want to. No, but he had already told her the backstory, so they already knew. Yeah. And it was, but this was a nice place. This was like, like the Hilton Hotel. They were, and they hired me. Wow. And so I got a job. <laughs> and it, not just that I got a job, but it was a job I wanted. Oh, Shepherd's Fold is a halfway house. I did have a question when I was thinking about recording today because I just don't have any experience with a halfway house. What exactly is a halfway house? Because when I think of that term, I think of people that are on drugs that don't pay their rent, <laughs> that are just finding an abandoned house and going and living in it. No. Uh, I mean, most halfway houses are programs. Oh, okay. So they're trying to help people. There's different types. There's some for people like coming out of recovery or trying to get off drugs. There's some for people that just have had, you know, like financial problems and they need some help, you know, they got they need a place to land to figure it out. And then there's some, you know, when I when I had Kairos in Birmingham, I worked with the Bethany home and it was it was a halfway house, but it was helping women come out of abuse. Like it was a secret house. Nobody knew like they made me you can't say where this is. Yeah. And they would help women, you know, escape their abusers and put their life back together and then move on. And then um there are other ones where they can bring their kids. They're just all over. And but they're not all good. Now all halfway houses are not just because they say they got a five oh one C three and they're a nonprofit does not make them good because some of them are rough. Well, um, another question, random. Why do they call it a halfway house? You're halfway somewhere? <laughs> well, the idea is it's, it's like a step up. So I didn't want to go to a halfway house. I wanted to go home. You know, Steve was the one who talked me into it. And he talked me. It was part of my parole p- plan mm-hmm. of committing. You know, it's not long. What is four months? And I remember as I was debating whether he was right or not, it did sound wise. Like you don't want to get straight out of prison. You don't want to go. He called it going to Mama Nim's house. Don't don't go home to Mama Nim. Go figure it out somewhere else. So I, there was a part of me that felt like he was right, but then there was another part of me that felt like, you know, I don't want to do all that. But I, as I was thinking about that, you know, a couple two or three days when we were doing our parole plan, I thought to myself, how many four months did I do in prison? And I counted them up, and I did a lot of four months in prison. So <laughs> yeah. four months is nothing. And it ended up being like one of my best decisions was going there because it just gave me – I didn't have to go straight out into the world and start trying to figure it out. I had some room to breathe, and, you know, they helped me, you know, get to the next place. And that was his goal. Uh, halfway houses for people coming out of prison 
or just to help you take the step to get to where you need to be. Like halfway to full freedom or something? Yeah. Okay, so you got there, and what was your first impression or thought? Like, what did you do? You check in, like a hotel? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was uh, I was shocked by the neighborhood. I'd already been prepped, though. There were a lot of guys that were with me in the honor dorm that were from Birmingham, and they were f- familiar with Southwest Birmingham. It's a bad neighborhood. And I had two or three of them, even the, the day before, I, the night before, or the day I left, to say, James, look me in the eyes. I know how hard-headed you are. You're stubborn. You think you can do whatever you want. Don't go for a walk in the neighborhood by yourself and don't even go outside at night. And they were right. It was scary. And it was like one way during the day, but at night you could hear gunshots, you could hear screams, you could hear sirens. It was just, it was rough. It was yeah. a rough neighborhood. So I, I, I was prepared for that, but I, you know, I told myself, you know, I got to do what I got to do. I ain't in prison. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I was also taken back by like, it just looked like poverty. Like it was an old rundown house. It was like one of those big, uh, old timey houses, like from, you know, 200 years ago where there's steps in the middle, no hallways. Every room led to another room, led to another room. And there were like, uh, 40, 30, 40 guys living there. Okay. And I mean, it was like square footage wise, it would have been like a mansion, but it was, you know, it was run down and decrepit and old. And yeah, but 40 people living in. Well, we had plenty of space. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't like tight. Like we weren't like busting at the seams. Everybody had their own space. Most of the rooms were two man rooms. Some of them were three man rooms, and then there were two or three like one man rooms. And, you know, it didn't take me long to negotiate the one. Naturally, <laughs> I, I, I think my second month I negotiated. You know, I need that one man room because it was. Uh, it was a trip. But you started in a three-man room or? It was a two-man room. I was in a middle room, which okay. meant that my room was like a hallway. So there was me and somebody else sleeping on the next bed over. But they were huge rooms, so it wasn't like we were close. I had my own closet with, and he had his own closet. And Joe had told me, go straight and get a lock before you put anything in your uh, closet. And I didn't listen. And I found out quick that. They stole everything there. They would steal your toilet paper. They would steal your toothpaste. They would steal your toothbrush. They would steal. They wow. was. They would steal anything that you left laying there, except for a Bible or any kind of book. Who's they? The other men living there. The other people living there. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was like I digressed. It was worse than prison in that sense. So that was a shock. That's crazy. I would say my only experience that's like even close to that is I stayed in a hostel. When I was traveling, what is in a hostel? Is that like where hookers? Go? No, James. No, it's like a. Oh, that's a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, big difference. So he gave me some bus passes that first day. These little tokens, <laughs> and he told me, gave me a copy of the bus route of the Birmingham Metro, whatever that was called, and told me I need to go find a job. So I was like, I already got a job. Check. <laughs> but I was. I was like torn because I was like, they just push people out the door in the morning, morning, tell them to go get on a bus. I don't even know how to ride a bus. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they go. I don't know how it works. I mean, I could figure it out. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, I braced myself. I'm not going to be able to get my car from them. I'm just going to have to learn how to ride the bus. But uh, I ended up. The way it ended up, I I, I would have. I didn't feel like I was too good to ride the bus. But then people just started. 
wanting to help and giving me rides and stuff. So it didn't. Uh, so you never had to ride it. No, and it didn't take me long to once I started working to save up my money and mm-hmm. then get my uh, savings account that he wanted to get insurance and stuff like that, and um, to be able to have my car. So it yeah. was like six weeks maybe before I got my car, but it was like getting out of prison again because now I'm free. I'm so free. I can go where I want. Except you have to be back by six. Yeah. <laughs> and that was another one. The guy that was the staff person there. Was that the assistant? Hobby? <laughs> or a Habby? His name was Habby. Okay. And he was a skinny little guy. Was he Indian? Haggard Sounds looking. Like no. Name. He was like from Ohio. Okay. <laughs> but he, he looked like, like a stoner, like he was out smoking weed. He wasn't. But like he had that look, like like a hippie kind of look. And he, what does a stunner look like? You know, just unkept, always wearing flip flops. Oh, okay. You know, just lounging, you know, lamping. Dreads. Uh, he didn't Air have dreads, dreads, but I could see him with dreads. Okay. Um, you know, carried a backpack everywhere he went. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> One of those. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't like him, and he didn't like me. What didn't you like about him? He was annoying. He was like this. Uh, like a little spur in my side from the time I walked in there. Like uh, somebody saw my toilet paper the second day I was there. And if you have to use the bathroom, you have to have toilet paper. Okay, pause though. <laughs> Maybe it's some people don't know. I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but James is very particular about his toilet paper. I know Man. in the eight years that we've been married, <laughs> I have bought the wrong toilet paper a couple times, and that was not okay. It's only the blue <laughs> Charmin, right? That's what I need. Don't be, don't be pulling up on me. So this angel pandemic salt. thing had nothing on Team Jones because we were good on our toilet paper. We yeah. Well, that came from prison. Right. I learned that in prison. Like, you have to stay ahead because you never know. You never know when things change. Yeah. Like, you can get in a toilet paper drought. Like, I'm going to have mine. (laughs) (laughs) I might even sell you a roll. No, I wouldn't do that. But uh, he freaked out on me about the toilet paper and was like screaming at me. Wait, it got stolen from you, though, right? Yeah. So I went and asked for another toilet paper. Oh. And he started screaming at me, didn't understand, didn't I know, and da da da. And I said, don't I pay rent? Don't we pay rent? They don't pay for the toilet paper. Blah, blah, blah. And like just, and this was like my second day. And it was like, it was after 1030 because the doors were locked. And I just said, just give me the toilet paper. And for the rest of my time here, I promise you, you will never, I will never ask you for another toilet paper <laughs> or anything. So just let me get, and I didn't, I went and bought my own toilet paper. Mm-hmm. There was something about Birmingham that was like Atlanta, but not it was yeah. it was like for me Birmingham was like a collection of small towns just all pushed together right whereas Atlanta was like this big metro like the you know just everything happening so there was a familiarity but also it was different something yeah. new and I just want to talk more about what did that keep stepping look like so you were Coming out of your brothel, I was about to say brothel. <laughs> brothel. <laughs> I said that. I, I wasn't a hooker. <laughs> your halfway house. <laughs> I was trying to follow Jesus. I, I wasn't trying to be no hooker. I came from. I think I like halfway houses. You're thinking hostel. You're thinking hostel. Because <laughs> the last episode, you said you stayed at a hostel. Yeah, but like brothel, brothel is totally different. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, so you kept stepping. You were keeping to step, and it was important, and I agree with all that. And it kind of stung the way he said that. I think you talked about this last episode. No, I didn't. It was I the didn't. one that we taped that 
we didn't tape. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, <so> I- <laughs> we actually taped one and Haley had her microphone turned around. <laughs> so we had to retape it. And this one's funny because, you know, I talked about Jimmy Dunn and Walter, like they were big in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Me and Walter, not so much. Walter came and picked me up one night and took me through. He gave me a ride through Birmingham in his brand new Ford Escort. <laughs> he was so proud of. But it was at night and I was just, it was like downtown Birmingham, south side through UAB, all that stuff. And I was just like... Like, wow, this is the big city. It's like I was in New York, but I mean, I know it wasn't. Yeah. But it felt like that to me. And there had been a conversation the night before was that, you know, I know that Catholics don't let you take communion unless you're like confirmed as a Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so I was just saying, you know, I know I can't take communion at the Catholic Church. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he said, James, you know, you're more Catholic than most Catholics that I know. So he said, if you can take communion, if you want to just go to my wife. And I was like, okay. So we get to Catholic church. It was a beautiful church, beautiful service. Uh, Jimmy actually did, was the minister of music. So he played on these, like, or he played his organs, like, but it wasn't like the Baptist church where they have a little piano or it was like the pipes went through the ceiling. It was, it was beautiful. And he was the one up there, like, getting down on the, the organ or whatever. Getting down at the Catholic Church, yeah. But uh, I was taken back by how many times we had to stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, and then they wanted you to do all this repeating, and, you know, and then they passed the offering plate like seven times. I'm like, how many times? I mean, <laughs> how much money y'all got? I mean, what what's happening here? But we went down there, took communion. I took the bread. And then I took the wine, and it was real wine. So you know, I'm straight. I'm straight out of prison. Like I haven't had anything to drink in like ten years, probably. And I got a buzz, like from the wine. I was like, "What?" From the communion wine? <laughs> yes, it was strong wine. It was not. It wasn't like it was wine. It was like it was close to whiskey. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. But, but uh, no, but I got a buzz. Like I, I almost, I stumbled back to my no. thing. Yes, I did. I did. I promise. But I was also like struggling with like guilt because you had to sign a thing at Shepherdsville that said you wouldn't drink alcohol. And I was like, I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble. And Walter was like, relax, James, relax. (laughs) But then after the service, we were waiting on Jimmy and his wife to get done because they work there or whatever. And we were standing up at the front and people would walk by and like bow down. Like the people would just walk by and just bow down. And there was nobody up because I noticed they were bowing down to the priest, but they were just walking by, just like bowing down, bowing down. And so I was like, what are they doing? And he was like, oh, they're reverencing the ark. And I was like, the what? He was like, the ark. That's where Jesus is. And I was like, where's Jesus? And he was like, well, the priest made the bread turn into the body of the Jesus and the the wine turned into the blood of the Jesus and then the leftovers we put in the ark. So that's why they're bound down. And so I was like, do you believe that? And he was like, yes, I do. And so I said, Jesus is in me. And he's like, I know it's because you took communion. And I was like, no, no, hold up, bro. Jesus was in me before I came in here. 
But there was a little bit of pressure from them, like, we think you should be here. And I was like, I think I should not. I've already found my church. It's the World Victory Church in Vestavia. (laughs) (laughs) But I went, and during the service, it was like one of those big, it was like a very formal service, but I was chewing gum. And apparently, according to the Word of Faith people, that's a cardinal sin. Like, you don't chew gum during the service. But somebody came up to me during the service and said, I'm going to need to get your gum. And I was like, what? Well, they wanted you to spit it out on their hand No, or they came with a napkin. Like, I'm going to need you to give me your gum. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, pastor says gum chewing is, disturbs the anointing. So I was like, are you are you serious? <laughs> um, but so I gave him my gum, but I was like, I'll give you my gum, but I won't be back. <laughs> this is Steve Long. And Steve Long, I had a deep relationship with him. But what I found out after I got to Shepherdsville was that Joel Brumbach went to church at Steve's church. Habby, the guy that drove me crazy, the little assistant man. Habby. <laughs> <laughs> he went to Steve's church. Hey, guys, hang tight. We'll be right back. To some extent, we're all still trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. In fact, it was from that struggle that I started my podcast, Career Sweet Spot. I'm Steve Perkins. I'm the founder of Greenhouse Coaching, and together with my team, we explore everything about this topic on our podcast, Career Sweet Spot. We share ideas, practical steps, and insights we've gathered from coaching thousands of individuals and companies. On Career Sweet Spot, we like to joke and have fun while also tackling the biggest topics intentional people are thinking about in their work, their leadership, and their life. So why don't you press pause and hit subscribe to Career Sweet Spot, a podcast all about life and career growth. I feel like I need to say his name like that every time. Hobby, hobby, hobby. Happy was a trip. (laughs) Happy was a trip. But uh, they all went to Steve's church. I wasn't sure what to expect. I knew I loved Steve. I was connected to Joel. Couldn't stand happy. <laughs> Didn't Hobby. really know anything else, but I knew that like the his daughter Shauna was going there, and I thought, you know, I need to hook up with that little something. Something. Oh, did we talk about that last? We week? talked about it in the last yeah, one. Yeah, okay. yeah. I felt like she was, you know, there was yes. some, there was some connections there. Bow chicka bow wow. But when That's I went it in, it was like in a um, like a conference room. There might have been like fifty, sixty people there. But they started the service with an open mic where they invited people to the open mic after worship. Is that like karaoke open mic? No, just where they called it share time. (laughs) Okay. And so I was like immediately like struck like, Steve, are you going to give people a microphone? Like I've been in prison. I know what happens in church services when you let somebody go. Like it's just it could go. It could go all kind of ways. (laughs) But the first person that got up was an older lady who got up, was not sharing about anything except that she was making organic dog biscuits that were really good for dogs and (laughs) very healthy for dogs. So she was marketing her business. She was selling her her dog biscuits. And (laughs) I was just like, this is not... This is not the place for me. I mean, I'll do this for like this one time, but like I'm one and done, I'm out. I saved up money, was able to to get my first apartment, which was, I guess that was kind of complicated because Tommy was helping me. And he kept, I found out he had a lot of free time when he wasn't wallpapering or pastoring. <laughs> and he he kept finding me these apartments that I didn't want. Like, 
He would, he found me this one. Was, uh, I know the Lord Jesus, the Spirit, spoke to me and told me this was your apartment, and it was because it was close to him. And I went and looked at it, and there was no washer and dryer connections. And I was like, where am I supposed to wash my clothes? And he was like, oh, they have a laundromat. And I was like, no, I'm not doing a laundromat. Like, I'm no. Like, if I'm going to get an apartment, I need to be able to wash my clothes. And so I had not a lot of standards, but I had a I guess that was the only one I need to be able to. They have to have a washer and dryer connection. I, <laughs> I ain't going to laundromat. And he didn't understand that. But I was just like, I know myself. Like, I need to be able to wash my clothes. So every one that he found, I turned him down. But then in my vision that I wrote, it said, you will find a nice place to live in a good area. So that, like, narrowed the gap for me. And so I would show him that, like, I'm supposed to find a good area. Like, I'm not supposed to live where it's cheap. I'm supposed to find a good area. Mm-hmm. And he got aggravated with me, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to hold out for the good area. <laughs> so what ended up happening was he had a cousin, I forget her name, but she was renting a duplex in Cobble Heights, like three blocks from where him and Brenda lived in this big fancy neighborhood. But it was right behind the summit in Birmingham, and it was a duplex, and she decided or got married or something. I forget what happened. But it was like one of those deals where it was a small real estate company on this property and you had to know somebody to get in. And he was able to get me in and ended up being able to rent that duplex apartment. And it was $300 a month, which was insane. Which is insanely cheap. So the ladies wanted to throw me a... uh, a housewarming party, and I thought that was cool. But then I was kind of weird because I was like, ain't that what you do when you get married? And they were like, no, you're starting your own home. Like, you need you Yeah, need for things. sure. That's a thing. For sure. So I was like, okay, let's do that. And then uh, somehow I got out, you know, at my job that I was having a housewarming party. Then all of a sudden, all them people wanted to come. So it turned into like this huge, like, event. And it was on a Sunday, and, you know, somebody brought food, and it was just... This was a little, little bitty dupe. It was a two bedroom, you know, probably seven, eight hundred square feet. And there was like 30 people that came through there that yeah. day. But, uh, there was a, one of the assistant chefs that worked at Rossi's. He was from Italy and he did not speak very good. He could speak English, but it wasn't like great English. And I remember him, uh, his wife was the banquets director there. And she was American. She spoke good English. But he he came up to me and was like, James, I really want to come to your party. But can you tell me, like, explain to me, like, what is, uh, how do you say, uh, warm house party? (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, that was a housewarming party. You know, they had all these people up on the stage and he would preach and they would sing and holler and do all that stuff. But there was many times I would look up and there would be more people on the stage than there were in the congregation. (laughs) So it was just like... I don't know, but I didn't want to leave because I had this statistic that I heard. Yeah. If you can be with one church with one job for one year, then your statistics go up in making it. So I was like struggling with that. Plus I didn't want to church hop, but then it kind of came to a head when they did a special uh, church service (laughs) where they had a visiting traveling person that came in. Mm Mm-hmm. His name was Tim. I don't remember his last name. So a visiting traveling person, like for I, those of us that... I don't know. He like went around from church to church and put on services. Like spoke or whatever. <laughs> oh, he did more than speak. <laughs> um, 
They say that he was a prophet. And a prophet, if you don't know what that is, is people that can tell you things that God is saying to you. But he also said that he was an anointed psalmist. And I was like, what does that mean? And uh, somebody that was next to me was like, it means he writes his own songs from the Lord. So I was like, okay. And then out in the lobby, he was also had a clothing business with Christian symbols on them. So he was a, let's break this down. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. A he song, was a songwriter. Songwriter. A.K.A. anointed psalmist. Singer. He also had a clothing line. Clothing line. It's called <laughs> Zion Clothes or something. Some religious thing attached to it. But they were like, it was like, ain't nobody finna pay $80 for no pair of jeans. Especially looking like were that. Were they anointed jeans? Were they? <laughs> he said they were. But you know, I'm not into all that. So he was doing, he started off the night with a little message. Then he was going to do the prophecies. So that means everybody's supposed to walk up there and he's supposed to tell you something. So I walked up there and he like laid his hands on me and like took a deep breath and shivered and was like, I have a word for you, brother James. So I was like, okay. and I was see, I was like sincere, like I'm waiting on my word. And he was like, I see a book opened. The book is opened from Birmingham to Montgomery. The interpretation of this vision is that you shall preach the gospel from Birmingham to Montgomery and from Montgomery to Birmingham, but nowhere else. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> you know, even none of this is, and I've been, I've studied, I have teaching. Like they say, if somebody gives you a prophecy, you either know it's right or it's not. And if you know it's not, then you're not supposed to even think about it. So I went back and sat down and was like, well, maybe, maybe he's, you know, good for somebody else. Maybe Jesus don't want to tell me anything tonight. <laughs> but uh, he started singing a song, and the song was about the anointing, and that's what they call like when the God's presence comes down. And the anointing in the Old Testament, they did it with oil. So <laughs> that's like how they, you know, the some of these like, with oil. What what do they do with the oil? Well, in the Old Testament, they would anoint people with oil. Like, Does that the, mean you? Pour it on them, or yeah, like the priests and the. But these were Jewish people. Like they did. This was a long, and plus you needed oil back then because you were dry. And I don't know. I don't know. Let's talk about that. I know, no, but I'm trying to understand when you're talking like this. It's like what in the Old Testament translate? they used they used oil to like anoint kings and prophets and okay. people. And so in the New Testament, the anointing is this is not that. It's the Spirit. Okay. Of of God. You uh-huh. know, that's the anointing. So he started singing about the anointing, and he's up there, and he's got like one of those little pop-up keyboard things, and he's up there. And then he starts singing about the anointing, and then he starts calling it the grease. <laughs> and he says... A.K. oil. <laughs> yeah. So he starts calling it the grease, and I think he, I think they said he was making this up in real time. I don't know. But then he started singing, the song was Release the Grease. So he was like, Lord, release the grease, release the grease. And it was getting weirder and weirder, like, by the second. It just kept, like, it was just more weird and weird. So I'm sitting there. There was probably 50 people in the congregation, maybe a little bit more. So they started a march. They started riding the train. You know, come on, ride this train. Let's ride it. Come on, ride the train. It's the choo choo. But it was the release the grease train. So everybody was on the train going around the church, hollering and carrying on. And it was not a very big church. It was just a little. I don't. I couldn't get up. I couldn't do it. 
um, you couldn't bring yourself to... I couldn't get on that train. And I was watching the train, <laughs> and they were going around, and he just kept getting louder and louder, and he would say the same thing over, release the grease. <laughs> then he started spelling it. R-E-L-E-A-S-E-T-H-E-G-R-E-A-E-S-E. You know, just... So were people singing along with him or yeah, clapping they or were what? Carrying on. They were carrying on. So they went around a few times. I was towards the back, and I didn't get on the train. So they stopped the train for James. And the pastor's wife was like, James, come on, you're supposed to be on this train. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to get on the train. She was like, come on and get on this train. Get on this train. So I got up. I got on the train. I walked. I didn't holler. Into, I walked around one one full time. One lap. Did one lap on the train. And I got to the end. <laughs> Stepped off the train. I wasn't in the middle anymore. I looked back and I said, Lord Jesus, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I left and I never went back. Like that's, You never went back after that? Nope. That's the end. <laughs> and the last one I did for Greg was in Vestavia. It was a big house that we we were there for like two weeks. We did all kinds of stuff. But we were putting in a sprinkler system in the back. And I'd started to, to trench a hole. And I was at the edge of a, uh, I don't know if a trencher is like a thing that goes down in the ground, like you lower it with a, with a switch and it okay. goes down and it just, it creates like a little thin hole to be able to run pipes through for, um, a, a sprinkler system. Uh-huh. But as I was lowering that down in at the edge of the yard next to the fence, it hit a rock and it bounced. And when it bounced, it grabbed the chain link fence. Whoosh, oh my gosh. Off. No, it was a, a miracle that I didn't get hurt, but. It was like the fence was there one time, one minute, and the next minute the fence was gone. <laughs> and then it was just, there were just poles standing there, and I felt like the poles were mocking me. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? You felt like the poles were mocking they, you? They were mocking me. The poles were just looking at me like, why are you doing this? Like, this is not, because I'm not even good at stuff. Like, I can play in a flower bed, but I can't right. do so I got my little walkie-talkie. It was like you go, and it was a phone, too, but if you did it, all the people would hear you. Right. So I was like, does anybody know how to fix a chain link fence? <laughs> <laughs> and my boss was like, why? And so I drove back that day. I went in, and I said, look, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity. This has been something a hard summer. <laughs> you know, I mean, he paid me the best he could. He did. Yeah. I mean, you know, I got some poisoning now and I'm miserable. And I said, this is, I'm tired of tearing up your equipment and you have this sadness <laughs> about me and you want to keep letting me do it. But this is, I'm not made for this. So I said, I want, I'm putting in a notice. I need to put in a notice and I need to do something else. And he said, well, if you don't work here, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going back to my world. I'm going back to the <laughs> restaurant world. I'm going to get me a job in a restaurant. And he was like, how long do you think that would take you to do that? And I said, probably, I could probably find a job by the end of the day. And he said, well, you're free if you want to just be done. Oh, no, he was a good guy. Yeah. He, he knew, I, he knew you're my story. Free. <laughs> but it was just, I was just in a, like a lost kind of place where it was just, um, just, gosh, I hate this. Like, I hate everything about this. I hate, you know, not having enough money. I hate trying to figure it out. And it was so... One of the hardest things I ever had to do was ask my mom to leave because that hurt her feelings. And then, you know, but it was, you know, I had to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And, but again, every day I would wake up and be like, this is not, this, this is not life. This is not what I'm doing. I mean, I hate, I hated both the jobs I was working. I hated the church I was going to. I didn't hate it. I just felt like I wasn't getting anything out of it. Right. Uh, she called me and she said, 
I know how much you liked working in Italian and, and, you know, you're doing so good and so great. I just, I took a job at this little place on Rocky Ridge Road. It's called Leonardo's. It's owned by one of the Brunos and Mr. Folletta. Uh, I think you would love it here. It's small. We have a great little lunch business, a little great little dinner business. The food is authentic. So, you know, everything, it just, it just feels like something you would love. I think we need to, Maybe pause on that and we'll pick up next because that was where my season changed. Well, okay. So that is interesting. Yes. Let's pause and pick up next time. But you say now you can see that's where your season changed. But as you were driving to that restaurant, you got the job there like immediately. You didn't know. But uh, so let me just say that this makes me very emotional. I, well, okay. So here's the deal. So this is going is about to shift your season. Oh yeah, entirely and get like a whole new kind of era for you, which we will unpack. My next start. Right. Yeah. But here's I'm feeling like led to encourage myself, <laughs> <laughs> as well as other people that are listening that you don't know, like what you're embarking on or maybe what's happened even recently mm-hmm. that is a total shift in season for you. That is a total Absolutely. shift in air that you don't know that that's what that is, but just to know that there's a gift maybe that you don't even realize you're walking out or walking in right now. That's about to change things for you. Hey guys, hang tight. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Ashley Rogers here, host of the podcast called Dollar Dollar Bills. This is a podcast devoted to helping you learn and grow your financial toolkit so you can ultimately respect your money and foster long-term growth. This podcast is for anyone looking to improve their financial situation and either grow from scratch or develop new techniques to continue to thrive. People are emotional creatures and ultimately make poor financial decisions as a result. Let me help you to make conscious, non-emotional decisions about your money. Listen to Dollar Dollar Bills over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That's true. This next season of my life was one of the best ones of my life, actually. Why are we so emotional? I don't know. <laughs> We're both yeah. starting to cry right it's now. What is our problem? because you know the story. Yeah. Okay, the first shift I had, they told me that Raphael... <laughs> was going to train me. And so I had to, Dana was like, you got to follow him at least one shift and you can start waiting tables tomorrow, but you've got to know the menu. Mm-hmm. And the menu was similar to the one we had at Rossi's, but there was like neat stuff on there that, that was like, um, they did like a, a rolled eggplant, Parmesan type of deal. There was just a lot of stuff on there that was new that I had to figure out what it was. Yeah. But, uh, that first night, Raphael was, uh, he was from Mexico and he was a hustler and he was like six feet tall and he was just, he was all about making his money. Um, <laughs> but he wouldn't really show me anything. He wouldn't train me anything. He was just like, you follow, you follow. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, I met like, all the people that work there, Big Tony, we, we called him Big Tony because he has a son named Tony. Um, mm. His name was actually Anthony Folletta. So Big Tony is Anthony Folletta third, and Little Tony is Anthony Folletta fourth. Okay. So I, I met him, and then uh, the lady that ran the office, Boo, she was uh, Tony's aunt. And it's like a movie, Boo. Yeah. <laughs> well, her, her name was Cosette, but they called her Boo. Okay. But the food was amazing. It was off the charts. It's making me want some right now. <laughs> oh, I can't even eat Italian anymore. I mean, you know that. 
I don't, even that nice place you like to go, it's not. Gian Marcos. There's nothing like Leonardo's. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, Tony ruined Italian for me well, if they had, in a restaurant. Was it Mama Connie? Yes, Coming she, in with the recipes and oh, making yeah. sure everyone was doing it right. She yeah. was handling her business. Yeah, that's awesome. But Tony cooked too. You know, he, he, he stayed back there. But he was, he was just a character. Like he was, there's nobody else like him. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, full of life. He was a storyteller. He liked to tell stories. <laughs> and, you know, he, you, you know how you, uh, tease me about hyperbolizing and, and you know, exa- or exaggerating, you say that. Yes. He was like that times 10. Like everything was more. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, he did, but he had a gift. Like he made people feel special. Like the customers, he would go out and go around to every table and talk to them with his, with his apron on. And he loved it. He loved everything about the business. He loved making people feel special. He loved telling stories. And he had this idea of the experience that we needed to provide for people coming in to eat. But when we didn't have a musician for a night, he wanted live music. So it had this thing that was called a MIDI file. And it was a little, you would put a floppy disk in and it would play whatever you put on it. So he would sit in his office and, and search MIDI files and download them on a disk. And he would go out and push the MIDI file into the piano, and then he would sit there like he was playing. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing, but people really thought that he was playing the piano. Like, they really thought that Tony was playing the piano. That's so And, funny. I mean, I had I would be waiting on tables, and people would say, um, Tony is just so talented. And I was like, yeah, he So is. he let them believe that he was playing. Yeah. Which is funny for you because. We all knew. You're just the opposite, though. Like, we have noted this <laughs> episode and last of how you hate, like, lying and let's be real and yeah. don't cover things up. And no, so, so was, you just let that go? It was cute. <laughs> it was funny. And it was it was kind of what, if you knew him, it made him him. Because right. he wasn't doing it. He wasn't trying to be deceptive. He just knew that people needed an experience. And that was what made Leonardo <laughs> special. Right. But for you, I mean, it kind of seems like that was the first time you really experienced that. Well, things, something happened with him. He became... He became like a father to me. And I never thought he was my father. You know, I never thought like, but he, he filled a role. You know, Steve filled a big role, but then he filled a big, like a daily role of the things that he just, but also I would do things with him that other people wouldn't do. Like Dana and Tony and his older daughter, Michelle, I didn't get to know her until later because she wasn't really part of the business then. Mm-hmm. He would want to go do stuff like, let's go to Bahama Breeze at 11 o'clock. On What's a Bahama Breeze? It was a restaurant out on 280. It was a big, oh, okay. um, like a Caribbean. Okay. I mean, it's fun to go eat, you know, this yeah. fish or chicken. You know, it was like a, uh, it was like Caribbean food. Yeah. So he would want to do these things that, you know, nobody wanted to do them with him. Mm-hmm. And so he would ask me and I would say yes. Cause I, I didn't, I wasn't like trying to suck up to him. I really want to go. Let's go I mean, to Bahama Breeze. You were Breeze. straight out of prison. You're like, yeah, let's yeah, go. <laughs> let's go to Bahama Breeze. But he did so many things for me. Um, he took me to my first Alabama game at Legion Field. And oh, I wow. believe that was the last Alabama game that was ever played at Legion Field. Oh, wow. He, uh, was so excited about Alabama football. He was a huge Alabama fan. For our international listeners, Alabama, Alabama is a college football team, and they're the best in the country and have been for several years. In the world. Basically. Um, 
like he took me on so many like firsts. Like he took me to my first Alabama game. He, uh, I say he bought me my first suit, but when I said that before somebody else, that that lady that went to World Victory Church was like, I bought your first suit, but like he bought me the first suit I wanted. Like, oh my <laughs> like gosh. The, I still have a suit that he bought yeah. me. Like he taught me that you know you don't have to have a suit that matches. You just buy a sport coat, you buy pants, you buy a shirt and different ties. Like you don't have to be all matchy match. Like he taught me how to dress. Yeah. Um, but he was taking me to a wedding. The one of the Bruno's sons was getting married, and he took me to the to the wedding. It was a big like you know it was like Prince Harry getting married. Like it was <laughs> it was crazy. In but, the Alabama world. <laughs> yeah. But he also, uh, he helped me buy my first house. Around the beginning of 2005, I began the process of opening my own business. And the girl came home and we got together. And so I really thought that I had everything that I ever wanted, everything I ever dreamed of. And I remember uh, one night during this time, like I had a dream and I was sitting at the head of the table and like Shauna was there and Steve and his family and my mom. And it was like in the dream, we were like at a table, but we were in my restaurant. And it was like I woke up just so full of hope, like everything that I ever wanted, every dream is coming true. It's crazy. So what we're going to do is this episode, which I don't know why I find this so exciting to talk about. I'm kind of... <laughs> I won't even talk about it if you don't want me to. I mean, no, I want you to. I feel like, I, I mean, this is the most interesting episode so far that we're going to be just talking about Shauna and that relationship. Well, in my mind, in my mind, she was supposed to marry me, mm-hmm. and somehow that got stolen from me. And but now it was it was uh, Jesus putting it all back together the way it was supposed to be. And it was a it was an exciting time, you yeah. know. And I I did I did fall in love with her. I mean, it wasn't. I can't imagine that the you know she's moved in with Tanya and Jeremy, and then you were already there over there. Just I mean, I can think like young and love, like the thrill of like, yeah. ooh, we're going to see him. You it know, was, like <laughs> it was neat. It is an exciting feeling and time. I feel like I was winning if I was her. I'm getting flowers as big as my cubicle at work, going to dinner, getting $5,000, settling accounts. I'd be like, mama is in the game. Okay, but that was where the, the, for lack of better words, the shit hit the fan. Okay. After that. How did the shit hit the fan? Um, So I'm just on top of the world, heading back, you know, doing my thing, and I get a call from Steve, and he... um was very harsh with me. So I was like, what's up? And I was telling him about the dishwasher and all things. And he said, uh, I have to call you. I have to confront you. I have to confront your behavior. And I said, what behavior? And he was like, what you're doing with Sean has to stop. This has to stop. You're in sin. And I was like, no, I'm not. And he's like, she's married and you're sending her flowers. And so he had found out I sent her flowers and he went on a deep investigation of what we were doing, like asking Tanya and Jeremy, asking people, asking Shauna. He found out we've been going to lunch and, you know, I've been hanging out over there. So he told me that I was sinning and I was like, I hadn't, I mean, sin is like having sex. So I haven't done any, I haven't even kissed her. I haven't done anything. And uh, he commanded me to stay away from her. Oh, that's not good, commanding you to not do something or do something. Well, I had, a, I had a level of respect for him, though, at that time where he was like a father to me, but he was also my pastor. 
And now it was just getting twisted because now he was my business partner, too. Yeah. So it was weird. But I did. I always had a level of respect for him. I listened to him. Mm -hmm. I probably listened to him more than I've ever listened to anybody. So what was your thought then on the phone? What was your first thought when he commanded you, use that word, to stay away from her? Ashamed. Like I was just... Because he said I was a sinner. You're in sin. Oh, you the felt sin. ashamed? That was, so you I felt very made you ashamed. angry? Not at first. It did later on. Yeah. But no, in the beginning, I was ashamed. Like I, And I was confused because I was like, y'all are pushing this. Y'all were pushing this from day, the day she got here. Like y'all were, like even her mom, I felt like they were pushing it. Like they were. I have a friend, Nelson, that was the worship leader at Grace and Truth. He was on the elders. Because, mm-hmm. like, in the, that kind of church, the elders, like, with the pastor, run the church. Mm-hmm. And he called me, and he said, Daryl has put a complaint against you to the elders. And What does that even mean? Like, they're going to, like, talk about you and see how to punish you or whatever. I don't know what they do. I don't know <laughs> what happens. Talk about how to punish you. Well, I don't know what would have happened, but Nelson called me. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, we're not, it's not like we're having sex or anything like that. And he's like, I know, and I know you and I know her. He said, but I think you need to show up and speak for you. I don't like this idea of them like bringing a case against you and making a big thing out of it. And so I okay, went. This, okay. I have to pause and say this. It was like a courtroom. Literally there. sounds like historical times. Like when the church is bringing a case against you. Yeah. I mean, I kind of have a hard time with that. Now, I don't know a lot about, and I'm not, Try not to judge, but at the same time, it just feels very, um, like, what can they do to you? I was getting myself into a situation that I didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. Later on, yeah, it would be like that. Okay. Well, I it, just was curious. It was always something. But in the beginning, I did not think that. But then after they said yes and we started moving the ball forward, I sat down and had a meeting with Steve at his house. And that was my first, like, red flag. Because his... Uh, did you know it was a red flag at the time? I did, but I didn't... I thought maybe I was just being scared or, you know, trying to find a reason not to move forward. Right, yeah. But the red flag was just the way that he talked to me. Like, mm-hmm. he was very, like, forceful with me. Like, just not in any way he'd ever talked to me before. I got a call from the White House. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a voicemail. You never know, do you? <laughs> Crazy. It was a voicemail on my cell phone when I was at work. <laughs> and that is insane. It freaked me out. And it was like, this is so-and-so calling from the White House. We got your President Bush got your letter. Blah, 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 blah. And so I called back. <laughs> we had a little chat. And it wasn't like the Oval Office. It was like somebody, you know, he probably well, still he probably never read the letter. But they, you know, it's that, you know, the White House has got hundreds of people that work there. But whatever it was, it tugged on the heartstrings. Right. And they got back with me. <laughs> and she told me that I needed to go through the Small Business Administration. And I didn't know what that was. And but lucky for me that there the chapter for North Alabama was in Birmingham, so she sat me up a meeting with the Small Business Administration. It's in uh, it's actually in Homewood, right outside of Birmingham. Yeah, it wasn't good. So I mean, I'm asking, do you think that was the big thing that kind of like the whole thing? It? The whole thing was bad. Yeah, the whole thing was bad. Then you had the stuff with Shauna going on. Steve's attitude kind of changed towards me because we had a team, the four of us would meet once a week and plan what we were doing that week, you know, to keep the ball moving forward. And 
at the time that all this stuff started happening with Shauna, and then if you remember from the last episode, I canceled them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I also put the brakes on this. I was like, I'm not doing this. This is crap. I'm not getting sucked into this. I'm not getting stuck in this. I'm going to figure out, I got to figure out a way to get out of it. So I put the brakes on but it. But the reality is you all, you already really felt stuck. <sighs> I was stuck. Lord have mercy. Yeah. But I, I, I put the brakes on it for like two or three months. Like I, I didn't even try to meet, like, I don't want to meet right now. Ain't mm-hmm. nothing to talk about. So during that process, Steve kind of took the reins from me for that. So now I had Jeremy like doing a hostile takeover of the process of the contracting <laughs> and then Steve doing like a gentle, you know, I'm just going to ease in here and take over because James can't handle this mm-hmm. kind of deal. So uh, that just bothered me even more because now I feel like, you know, like, like they're, in, they're controlling me and I, I didn't like that. I yeah. hated every part of it. And you were the prison project. It was a disaster. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. But okay, so but it wasn't a happy day for me. Well, it wasn't a happy day. No, it was an awful day. So, did a lot of people come? Hey guys, hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Pat Flynn here, host of the award-winning podcast, The Smart Passive Income Podcast, which was created to help you learn how to become an entrepreneur. And in the simplest way, too, you know, entrepreneurship can be very difficult. I like to simplify things. And I interview people like Josh Hall and Shane and Jocelyn Sams and Maria Fela. Who are they? Well, they're people just like you, people who have taken action after listening to the show and have built a business that has changed their lives. And I'd love to share an episode with you that I think will inspire you to get started, too. Check out the link in the description or go to smartpassiveincome.com slash 122 to get inspired, get what you need to get started, and change your life. You got this, and thank you. Yeah, actually, the news came. They oh. came and did a news story. Well, Joe Brumbach from Shepherd's Fold, he called me the day we opened, early that morning, and he said, I have a, a contact, a friend at Fox 6 that wants to come and do a news story on Kairos. And I said, Really? And he's like, yeah, they want, they want to do it today on opening day. So I said, well, awesome. And he said, well, they want to tell your story. And I was like, okay, I'm fine with that. Up until that time, my, my story had not been like public. They right. made my story public that day. And for me, it was awful. So I just wanted to throw up the whole time. Just like I, I, it was like I had a premonition that I've gotten myself into something that's going to be a disaster. And it was something that I don't want to be in. I don't want to be controlled by other people. So to me, that's really sad. I mean, what would you say, like, for other people? Like, what what's what was the biggest takeaway? Like, what's the lesson you feel like you learned and you would want someone else to know? That you don't do it. You don't do it at all costs. Like, you don't move into something. You don't You don't push through something at all costs and give up your freedoms, give up. You know, I made a lot of concessions during that time. Yeah. Things that I would never do again. Mm-hmm. Like I would never, ever even come close to getting involved in a situation like that again. Yeah. But, uh, you know, once you get in, you're in. Yeah. So. It was one of those days where everything was bothering me and I was just trying, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here, get out of this. I can't do this. And there was a car outside that kept circling the building. And Jeremy, he was one, he's kind of like Royal. He's very, my son Royal. He's very aware. He pays attention to everything and he would call attention to everything. Mm-hmm. He was like, why does this car keep circling? And I said, it don't matter. We're closed. So who cares? Like, why do you even care? 
And a car pulled up to the front. It was just a regular car. And these two guys jumped out, and they came to the front door. And they said, uh, we need to see James kick Keith Jones. And I said, that's me. What's up? And they were like, uh, can you can you step outside? And I said, uh, sure. I mean, I thought it was like a customer or something. So I step outside, and he said, I'm so-and-so with the U.S. Marshals. I have a warrant for your arrest. What? And I thought it was a joke. I mean, I thought... I thought it was a joke. He said, I have a warrant for your arrest. And I said, uh, okay, ha, ha, ha. Because I had a friend, Paul Windorf, who's actually an elder at Grace and Truth. He was a Hoover police officer. Mm-hmm. Like, he's in the FBI now. He's moved up. You know, he's awesome. Up and out. But he would play jokes on people with his police car. Like, maybe I shouldn't be telling that, but he would, like, pull people <laughs> over. Like, just as a funny. Yeah, you know, like yeah. friends. Like, people he could yeah. play with that, like. So I thought it was Paul Windorf playing a joke on me. I, I really did. And what I was like, terrible okay. joke. <laughs> I was like, okay, ha. Huh. But they turned me around and put handcuffs, behind, handcuffed me behind my back and then reached down and put handcuffs on my feet. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, what's happening here? And so this is a real arrest. They arrested me. And I didn't know what, if I didn't understand what's happening, I was like, I know I ain't, I ain't did no crime. <laughs> you know, I What's happening? And then I looked back, and there was Lenore and Jeremy and Wanda, and they were looking at me like I did something wrong. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. That is insane. So you're standing outside your restaurant and all this, and they are putting you under arrest. They arrested me. They handcuffed your hands and feet. And threw me in the back of the car and sped away. What? It was... I don't know. It was it was very traumatic. <laughs> and they said, come out. And they said, go in this uh, little thing where you talk through the glass. And there was a man sitting there that I didn't know. I'd never seen him. And he said, I need you to sign these papers. I need you to not say a word. I need you to sign these papers. And then they're going to release you. You're going to walk out into the bay. You're going to take a right. You're going to walk straight out. And you're going to see a red... Bronco, I need you to get in the red Bronco. This is like a freaking movie. Why aren't we doing this an episode by itself? This should be an episode by itself. It was crazy. (laughs) So I was like, but I was still half asleep. I was like, okay, sign my name. Walk out. I get in the car with him. Who does that? (laughs) I get in the car. No, look, he looks over at me and he said, I don't know you. I don't know why the hell I'm doing this. (laughs) And I said, can we pause? Like, what are we doing? Like, what's happening? Who are you and what the hell are you actually he doing? Said, he said, I'm a, I'm a bail bondsman. And I've never done this before. And I, I honestly, I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> but I've got to go to Troy. And so I thought it would be nice. Your friends are coming to pick you up. <laughs> Wait, okay, okay, okay. Stop. I, I'm going to Troy. And I'm just going to take you to Troy. We'll meet them there. How did this guy even know about you in the jail? Because they called him Bond. And, like, okay, so I think it was Mike Farrell. Like he had been in prison. He had, you know, he had, he had a Okay, so they had called this connection. A bond? No, just a bondsman. A bondsman. So yeah. for some reason, this guy felt compelled to do all this weird stuff for me <laughs> that he didn't know what he was doing. But then he looked at me and was like, "If you try anything stupid," and I was like, "What? Are you? I'm not. Whatever. You know, whatever." So we drive to Troy. Wait, hold on. Let's pause. <laughs> Hold on, I feel like this I need, is crazy. It is I crazy. mean, I'm a very fast processor, and I yeah. feel like I need to hear this again. So he said you needed to 
that right then and there, he was bonding you out. I was already out. I was sitting in his car. <laughs> no, we no. were driving away. No, no. I was no. not in jail anymore. I'm talking about when you went to the glass. I didn't know what he was doing. Okay, so he, he said. He looked at me. He said, I'm going to pass this to you. <laughs> you need to sign this paper. And I need you to not speak a word about anything. I just need you to walk You weren't out. skeptical? I didn't know what to do. I was scared. <laughs> but I was like, what is happening? Like, it didn't. And it was early in the morning, and I knew it didn't make any sense. Like, four hours to get from Birmingham to, to So you Dothan. signed the papers. I signed the papers. And then you immediately walked out. They set me free. They let me out. And then you did, followed his instructions. I walked like, out. To the right, red said, bronco. To the right. I walked out there. It was a red bronco. <laughs> I jumped in the red bronco, and we're on the highway. Headed. I feel like this is like an OJ scene. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. So then we're headed to Troy. No, it gets worse. It gets weirder. <laughs> so we get to Troy. You're headed to Troy. And it's around like 8, like it's still early in the morning. I, like, for all people listening, I have never heard this story. <laughs> Just so you know. It was early in the morning. Like nothing was happening. It was early. He pulls into a Kentucky Fried Chicken that was closed. So we're the only people in the parking lot. And I'm looking around <laughs> like... And he starts smoking. I feel like I'm finna die. He starts smoking a cigarette, and I was like, can I have a cigarette? Like, (laughs) I need to do something. So we're sitting there, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. He's not talking to me. He's like, he's like weirded out. Like, what am I doing? Like, I think he's nervous. Because, you know, he can get in trouble for that. Right. For what? I don't understand. If if he's a bondsman and he bonded you out, what can he get in trouble for? He's supposed to bond me out when they paid. They hadn't even paid the bond. Oh, they hadn't paid the bond. Okay. (laughs) There was. I mean, there was not. I mean, it was just weird. But and he kept saying, "I don't know why I'm doing this," and I was like, "I don't know why you keep saying that to me. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I don't even know what you're doing." (laughs) So he, uh, Steve, and Mike Farrell pull up in the Kentucky Fried Chicken parking lot, (laughs) and so there's two cars there. The Red Bronco and they're driving This is early Marshall. in the morning. It's like eight o'clock. They get out and they count out cash, thousand dollars to him because I had a ten thousand dollar bond. They're just counting out hundred dollar bills to him that my mom had gave him the money. But they're uh, <laughs> counting the money out to him, and to me it looked like a drug deal. <laughs> like I was like, <laughs> if I was watching this, like if I was like standing on the side of the road watching this happening, I would think. They're getting crack or heroin or something. <laughs> you know, something's happening. I never had to go to court. I never had to do anything. But it was very traumatic. But at the same time, it made my fa- it increased my faith. Like I understood, like God is for me. If He can let them come and arrest me and take <laughs> me four hours away and get me back in time to cook din- to cook lunch the next day, and you my- probably got more sleep than you would have ever gotten. I did. Well, Wanda was the best one during that time. She was uh, my bus person. Yeah. She was like, we're wringing our hands, stressed out, going crazy. And you were over there sleeping. I don't make no sense. So, oh, that's great. It, it was neat. So, but after that. It was neat. <laughs> no, I mean, it, was, it wasn't neat what happened, but it was neat the way that God's hand was on that. There yeah. was no way that could have. And then. You know that night when I went in at Leonardo's and all those lawyers were there in town, they were like, "What the hell?" Disbelief. And I was just yeah. like, "I don't know what to tell you. I'm here." <laughs> you know. 
was like, oh, let me go get Dino. He's Greek. And I was like, I thought y'all said there wasn't no Greek people here. Like, what, <laughs> what's happening here? But she went and got the guy that was the manager of the cafe. He came out. He was a little short guy, probably in his, maybe in his 60s, had, had like salt and pepper hair. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And he wanted to know my story. He started asking me questions. So I pulled everything out and told him the whole story, showed him everything that I had. And uh, he wanted to help me. You could tell he wanted to, but he didn't know like how to. Right. So I think we sat there for about 10 or 15 minutes. He came back with another guy and this guy did not look like a, you know, what you would think a typical Greek person looked like. He was like six foot three. I mean, he was very tall, blonde headed, had dark skin and, and like green eyes, but he didn't, he didn't look Greek to me. Yeah. But when he started talking, he talked Greek because, <laughs> you know, his, his English was broken. Yeah. So he actually sat down at the table with us and started asking me questions. I think our conversation lasted about four minutes. And he said, you don't know his last name? And I said, no. And he said, this is like a needle in a haystack. If you don't have a, if you don't have a name, you have nothing. You have nothing. And he like got up and left, like stomped off. And he turned around and said, you don't have a name. You have nothing. <laughs> And you're she, like, wow, you're kind of aggressive. <laughs> well, he he was just being blunt. Like, yeah. don't waste my time. Basically what he was saying. But Shauna picked up the, the paper that I had in the folder and she yelled out to him. He won a cutlass in a poker game, in a card game. And the guy stopped, like froze. And he flipped around and he looked at me and he said, it was red cutlass. <laughs> and I said, I think so. And he came running back, and he sat down in front of me, and he told me who my my father was. And it was crazy. It was just crazy. And Derek was like, hold up. Let me get this right. So James got in a car (laughs) and drove across America to Denver, Colorado, and he didn't even have a last name, and he found his father. (laughs) 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 Like... (laughs) How did this happen? This is a testimony. (laughs) A testimony. (laughs) And it was in the middle of a lunch rush. And the lunch rush at Kairos was crazy because it was like everybody came in at one time and, you know, you're cooking, doing all things. And Lenora came to the back and said, James, you have a phone call. And I said, I can't talk on the phone. I'm cooking. And she said, I think you're going to want to take this call. And I said, I think you're going to want to take a message. (laughs) And she said, that sounds like you. She said, you're going to want to take this call. It's it's coming in from Greece. And I don't know. (laughs) I almost felt like I almost passed out. And I took the phone and I was looking at it. It was on hold, but it was like a number with like 75 numbers. (laughs) Like I'd never seen a number like that before. And I went in my office and I locked the door and I said, hello, this is James. And he said, hello, James, this is your father. <laughs> and he's like hollering in the phone. And then I'm like, I'm trying to talk. I'm like, why? Did you he? cry at that time? I did. It was it was very emotional. Well, hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed the best of season three and can't wait to see you next week for season four. Yes, guys, it's a new beginning. I cannot wait. It's good things coming.
Happy August from the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Are you looking for an expert realtor who is dedicated, determined, and eager to help you? Dana Belcher with Remax Advantage North. Dana has a strong market knowledge and she uses strategic marketing strategies to help you get what you want. Dana says that fall is a better time to buy. There's not as much competition, more to pick from, fewer buyers in the market. There's an opportunity to pick up deals or hidden gems. Text or call or get a phone appointment to explain your needs to Dana and she will use her experience to get you going in the right direction. Email her Dana Belcher agent at gmail.com. Call or text her at 205-910-3358. Or check out her website, theiconagents.com. Alec Priola with Assurance Financial is one of my closest friends. He really knows his industry, and we love what he does to help people. He's licensed in Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, and Texas. Alec's company now does home equity lines of credit. Just like a credit card. You can use it on anything. Only pay interest, which is no more than 6.5%, and it could be less. It's just like a credit card. You can use it on anything. It's a great way to leverage equity in your home. Is inflation bogging you down? (laughs) You know it is. You need some extra cash? I mean, don't we all? Don't we all need some extra cash? Get some much-needed relief with a mortgage review from Alec to see if a cash-out is a good option for you. Don't miss this opportunity if you don't own a home. Rents are at all-time highs. Through the roof, actually. And property values are going up. By owning your own home, you'll stop filling up somebody else's bank account and change your own financial future by building equity for yourself. Take advantage of Alec's many years of experience and knowledge and his company's advanced technology that streamlines the process and makes it simple. Call Alec today to see how much you can start saving on your new or current home before these low interests are no longer available. 205-215-2888. Again, that's 205-215-2888. NMLS number 130-1248. Assurance Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 70876. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC business, Home and Commercial Services. Just because we're getting to the end of summer, your HVA system still needs to be maintained. At home or at work, they have all of your air conditioning needs covered. They offer commercial and residential service agreements to keep your equipment functioning at top performance. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. They provide you with trained technicians, not salesmen in disguise. They're going to do what they say they're going to do, guys, which is refreshing in these days. Home and commercial services works on all name brand of heating and air conditioning units. Gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call Keely today. 205-798-0635. Or email office at hollandhcs.com. Our friends Lynn and Debbie on Hearst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to we help. You can call anyone else. That's a fact. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours and 7 days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. That's a long time. You know how they say healthy things grow? Well, Hearst Towing has been growing and expanding since 1987. The Hearst have a heart to serve, and they love making a difference in the communities that they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world and the world around them. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS. T-O-W-S. <laughs> <laughs> or you can check them out at hearsttowing.com. 
CrossFit Morphobia is owned and run by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She's been a personal trainer for eight years as well as a CrossFit coach for six years. She is a CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition certified. So she don't just teach you how to work out, she can teach you how to eat right too. So you can be the best version of CrossFit Morphobia classes are all one hour long start to finish. They literally have classes any day or time that fits your skin. We love Hayden and there is not a better time than the fall to step back into a routine. They also have open gym times. You can come and do your own thing and coaches are always available there for you if you need let hayden help you be the best version of you crossfit mophobia is located at 222 decatur highway in gardendale alabama email crossfit mophobia info at gmail call or text 256-303-1873 or check her out on facebook and instagram crossfit mophobia Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. It's written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.co. It's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. (laughs) Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keeley at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at hollandhcs.com. You can look up Holland Home and Commercial Services on Instagram for daily tips and more. Or you can check out their website, hollandhcs.com.
We have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast, Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve, and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOES. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing.